The Shulamite woman is speaking in Song of Solomon chapter 5 verse 2 and she says, I sleep but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. For my head is filled with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night. I have put off my coat, how shall I put it on? I have washed my feet, how shall I defile them? My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door, and my bowels were moved for him. I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped with myrrh and my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen that went about the city found me. They smote me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took away my veil from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him that I am sick of love. That's love sick, remember. What is thy beloved more than another beloved, O fairest among women? What is thy beloved more than another beloved that thou dost so charge us? My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousand. His head is as the most fine gold, his locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers. His lips like lilies, dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with a barrel. His belly is as bright ivory overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Amen. Remember, we're examining from this book the relationship between husbands and wives, and then we're going from there, Ephesians chapter 5, and comparing it to the relationship between Christ and his churches, how the Lord feels about this church and every true church, and how we as members of one of the Lord's churches should feel about him. I said a very short introduction this morning. Today what we're going to look at is the excitement of anticipation, the anguish of separation, and the beauty of adoration. This woman shepherd that she loves so much comes and knocks at the door. And for whatever reason she delays in going to the door. I think we see it there when she says, I've put off my coat, how shall I put it on? I've washed my feet, how shall I defile them? But she delays for whatever reason going to the door and when she gets to the door, he's gone. And that brings about a broken heart. A heart that is broken by separation. And first we see in verses 2 through 5 what I call the excitement of anticipation. The excitement of anticipation. Her love knocks at the door and though she's sleeping... She is alert to his voice. She says, it is the voice of my beloved. Now, how can she hear his voice when she's asleep? Well, have you ever anticipated something and you go to sleep? I do this quite regularly. We have an alarm clock that goes off, but fortunately it has a snooze button on it. And that alarm clock goes off and it's real easy to reach over and hit snooze. Now, 
That's a nine-minute snooze button. And I think I lie there in bed and count every minute. Until about the last two and I finally doze off, but I'm anticipating it and it goes off again and I reach over and I hit it for another nine minutes. But sometimes we can be sleeping, but we can be anticipating a phone call, maybe a knock at the door, maybe it is an alarm going off. This woman is asleep, but she's awaiting the arrival of her shepherd, and as she awaits, her heart is awake as it anticipates the voice of her beloved. It is the excitement of anticipation. Have you ever anticipated something and been really excited about it? Just can't wait for that day to get here. And then finally it arrives. I think this excitement of anticipation talks about the attraction that husbands and wives ought to have toward one another. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 the scripture says, For this cause, that's taking a wife by the way, For this cause shall a man leave his mother and father and shall cleave unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. That word cleave has the idea of being glued together. Years ago, Joni got stuck with me, okay? <laughs> well, we're stuck with each other. But they are just glued together. They're cemented together. And they should have that attraction for one another that they want to be together, that they do not want to be separated. We ought to have the same kind of anticipation over hearing from God. Over hearing the Word of God. You know, we come to church... On a Sunday morning, how do we approach Bible study? Is it just another Sunday school class? Is it just another Bible study? You know, I've got to listen to that preacher or that teacher, whoever it may be again. And so I, I really, okay, I'll go, but I really don't want to, you know. When we're at home and you got side by side on the coffee table, I guess they still put it out, the TV guide and the Bible, which one do you pick up? I want to see what Lucy's doing or I want to see what God says. What is our anticipation and our attitude and our approach toward Bible study? And when you study the Bible, how do we approach? Are we just reading to read? Be able to say, look, I read this many chapters in the Bible. Or are we reading because we want to learn something from the Word of God? How do we view, how do we approach the preaching of the Word of God? Remember, she's anticipating the voice of her beloved. How do we anticipate the voice of our Lord? Do we ex come to church expecting to hear some word from the Lord? Listen, all you're doing is coming to hear Brother Jim. You're coming for the wrong reason. Come expecting to hear from the word of God. If all you hear is the preacher, folks, you've missed the message. Hear the word of God. Private, personal Bible study is necessary. But we also need those times when we come together. And in fact, the scripture says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but we ought to be here. You know one of the reasons that we are to come here according to Hebrews chapter 10? But exhorting one another, uplifting, encouraging one another. And he says, and so much the more. As you see the day approaching and the closer and closer we get to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be more and more faithful and it seems like the very opposite is happening. The closer we get to the coming of Christ, the fewer people want to show up on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, and a Wednesday night. They're going the opposite of the Bible. We ought to be like Samuel. Remember Samuel and Eli? And Samuel was lying there in bed one night and he heard a voice saying, Samuel, 
Samuel and he thought it was Eli and he went in and Eli said, no, go back to bed, it's not me. And this went on several times and finally Eli told him, what? When you hear your name called, say, speak, Lord, your servant heareth. We ought to be like that when it comes to studying the Word of God and looking into the Word of God. John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. We need to be willing to hear the voice of the Lord. He speaks to us through His Word and the conviction of His Holy Spirit. Have we been saved so long that we no longer anticipate our beloved's voice? Where it's just a voice. I don't know if I've shared this with everybody, but you know, I obviously have a cell phone. I have a ringtone on here that is strictly my wife's ringtone. Created it myself, put it on the phone. You know what it is? It's her voice. It's her singing a song. We need to anticipate the voice of our beloved. Husband and wives need to hear from each other. Joni comes home, we'll sit down at supper. You know, it's just the two of us, and so we sit there and talk to one another. How about that, you know? And she'll tell me about her day, and I'll tell her about mine, and so we just visit with one another. And husbands and wives need that, but we are, as God's people need that, and we ought to want to hear our Lord speaking to us. There is the excitement of anticipation that someday I get to go to church, I get to hear a message from the Word of God. I tell you what, I get excited about preaching the Word of God. I love to see people get excited about hearing the Word of God. Amen. But she anticipates His presence also in verses 4 and 5. He's been away too long. She wants him there. She's anxious to see him. And she anticipates his arrival. I said she's alert to his voice. In verse 5, look at what it says. I rose up to open to my beloved. And when she did, she said, my hands dropped with myrrh and my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh up on the handles of the lock. You know what she's talking about? You know what myrrh was used for? It was to anoint the head sometimes. Somebody who had been traveling was hot and needed to be refreshed. And she said, I'm waiting for him. And I went to the door anxious to see him. And let's go back again to Genesis 2 and that word cleave. That a husband and wife ought to be glued together. They ought to desire one another's company. You know, I like being with my wife. I hate to say that in front of her, but I like being with my wife. I think about our mom and dad. They went everywhere together. They did everything. If you saw one of them, you saw the other. And they were constantly together. I know we live in a day where people have marriages where the husband and wife seldom see each other. I don't personally don't think that's good for a marriage. They want to go their own way and they want to do their own things. And we get told sometimes, well, that makes a strong marriage. I don't personally believe that it does. Then we wonder why people get separated. Husbands and wives need to be together. They need to learn to love one another and to appreciate one another. Well, listen, I don't like to get too far away from my wife. I mean, I don't want to go to the other side of the world without her. We've gone a couple of times, but I don't want to go again. And I don't, certainly don't want to go without her. But listen, a church had better not get too far away from the Lord. We better be careful about getting separated from our Lord. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, and that's important, name indicates authority, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I, he said, in the midst of them. 
Jesus Christ is here today. Now let me ask you a question. When you came to church today, who did you anticipate meeting first and foremost? Uh-oh, right? Well, I came to church expecting to see Brother Jim. Well, I'm glad you did, but don't put me number one. Well, I came to church expecting to see Brother Rick. Well, that's great. I like Brother Rick, but don't put him number one. Did we come to church expecting to see friends? You know, church many times is a social thing for people. Well, you're in church expecting to see friends and expecting to see family or, or maybe to see guests. How many of us, and I don't want you to raise your hands, but how many of us came to church this morning expecting to meet with Jesus Christ and with God? Oh, and by the way, and with the Holy Spirit. They're all three here today. Too often going to church is just going to church. And I'm afraid that's what it has become so much of the time in America today that so many people, even God's people, even churches like this one, it's Sunday time to go to church. And we don't give thought. So I'm going to church to be in the presence of the Lord. I'm coming here to meet with the Lord. Yes, He indwells me. Yes, He indwells you through His Holy Spirit. But when we assemble together as a church body, He is here in a very special way. Also, over in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, well, I'll just tell you what that verse says. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22 tells us that a New Testament church is a habitation of God through the Spirit. I said the Holy Spirit's here. He indwells this body and He meets with us when we meet together. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, we have the promise of God's continued presence when he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And so we come to church not to hear the preacher, not to see friends. We come to church to meet Jesus Christ. There is the excitement of anticipation of coming to church and meeting together with God's people in the presence of a holy God, his only begotten son and the Holy Spirit. And then she anticipates his return in verse 6. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. When she finds that he is gone, she is sad. She anticipates his return. And what happens is you begin reading there in verse 6 through verse 8. She says, I'm going to go out and look for him. Now this is in the middle of the night in a Middle Eastern city of that day and it was a time of danger. She said, I, I searched for him. I called out for him. He didn't answer. You look at verse 7. Here's what she said. She's talking about going throughout the city and the watchmen who were in the city. She said, they smoked me. They beat her because she's out at night looking for her beloved. The keepers of the wall, she says in verse 7, took away her veil. And then in verse 8, she speaks to the daughters of Jerusalem and she says, if you find him, if you see him, tell him I'm looking for him. Tell him I'm so lovesick for him that I'm out here in the middle of the night looking for my beloved. Again, there are times husbands and wives have to be apart, aren't they? I mean, work keeps us apart sometimes. You have to get up and go to work. And I just wish Joni a good day every day when she goes off to work, you know. Amen. But sometimes husbands and wives have to get up and go to work, chores sometimes. Sometimes there are things at church that separate us. I understand that. 
But when those things happen, we ought to be looking forward to the other's return also. Yes, there are things that draw us apart, but we need to be looking forward. I can't wait for Joni to get home from work. I sort of watch the clock. I don't tell her that much, but I watch the clock. I, I like to see her come home from work. I like to have her there at the house. Our Lord's coming back, folks. John chapter 14, the first three verses, Jesus promised. I love these verses. He says, first of all, in John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Do you realize what he's saying right there? Now, Peter's made the confession, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here's what Jesus says to them. You believe I'm God. You trust God. You trust me as much as you trust God. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. You trust God. Believe in me also. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then he said this wonderful, wonderful verse, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I like this, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. He didn't say I'll send an angel after you. He didn't say I'll send Moses or somebody. He said I'm coming back. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And we ought to anticipate the return of Jesus Christ each and every day. John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, the first three verses. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be known, we should be called the children of God. He said, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. In other words, we don't look like children of God right now. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We love those verses, but the third verse says this, and every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. What is part of the anticipation of the coming of Christ? Living the kind of life that promotes Christ. That says good things about Jesus. That doesn't cause people to turn from Jesus and turn from Christianity. And in fact, we are taught in the Word of God to pray for the coming of the Lord Jesus, aren't we? Jesus said that we're to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is the excitement of anticipation. But then there's the anguish of separation. You go back to verses 3 and 4 and what happened. This Shulamite, I said, for whatever reason, doesn't answer the door immediately. Maybe she's looking for a coat. Maybe she's looking for her shoes. Who knows? When she finally does, he's gone. That reminds me of the anguish of broken fellowship. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but have you ever been out of fellowship with the Lord? If you have, you know what it's like. Now the Word of God gives us in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 the sweetness of close fellowship. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock and if any man will open, I'll enter in and I'll sup with him and he with me and, and we'll have fellowship together. That's the beauty of close fellowship with the Lord. But then there is this broken fellowship and verse 7 describes the torment she endured while searching for her beloved. Again, she said, they wounded me. They took away my veil." I'll say again, and you say you're saying this an awful lot, preacher, I know, but it 
something I believe at least, regardless of what society and, and psychology say, husband and wives don't really need to spend a whole lot of time apart. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and the 5th verse, the Apostle Paul writing to the, remember this church at Corinth had questions about marriage and divorce. And he said this to husbands and wives, Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. What he's saying is the only real reason, good reason for being apart for any length of time is spend time in fasting and in prayer. He's saying you need to be together. Do you realize that in the Old Testament... Newly married men were excused from military service for a year that they might spend that first year of marriage with their bride. There is the need for fellowship. Concerning Christ and his churches, folks, we need fellowship with our Lord. And it should bother us, as I said, to be out of fellowship with our Lord. There's two ways that we can disrupt the fellowship as a church and as individual believers between us and our Lord. You know what they are? At least two. I'm going to name two. Number one is disobedience. All right? Disobedience is just says, I know what God says to do, but I, you know, want to do this. I know what the Bible says, but you don't understand, preacher, you know. It's this way with me. Well, that's disobedience. Anytime the Lord says do this and we say I don't want to do that, I want to do what I want to do, that's disobedience. And then the other is this, and it's the same as disobedience, it's delay. I always taught our children growing up, delay is disobedience. If I tell you to do something and I want you to do it right now and you put it off, then you're disobeying me as dad. And when the Lord tells us to do something and we put it off, we're just being disobedient. Yes, Lord, I know you said do it now, but I think I'll wait. I'll do it when it's convenient for me. I'll do it when I want to be obedient to you. Lord, I'm not going to do what you want me to do when you want me to do it. It's my life, and I'll do it when I am ready. When our fellowship is broken with the Lord, individually or as a church, folks, it ought to cause us anguish of heart. It ought to hurt so bad. We know about David and Bathsheba. We know the sin that David committed with Bathsheba. And we know all about those things. And Then he committed premeditated murder to have her husband killed because he wanted it to look like, I guess, the baby was his. And then we know what happened when he talked to the preacher. You know, That old meddling preacher pointed at him and, and he said, you're the man. You remember he gave him that illustration of a man who had several sheep, but he wanted to entertain a guest, and this one farmer next to him had one sheep that he loved so much, one little lamb, and he just took that lamb and killed it and gave it to his guests. And he said, what ought to be done? Nathan said, what ought to be done to that man? And David said, he ought to die. And Nathan said, you're the man. David had condemned himself. David had convicted himself. God had convicted his heart. And so what did David do? Well, he did a lot of things, but one of them was that he wrote the 51st Psalm. 
And listen to what he says. This is the anguish of heart that we ought to have when we're out of fellowship with the Lord. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. When will we as God's people get to that point and say, Lord, we deserve what's happening. Our failure, our sin." No, it's all those liberals up there in Congress that are causing all the problems, right? I'm glad nobody said amen to that. You realize if we of God's people had been doing what we should have been doing, we might not have gotten rid of all the liberals, but we'd have had a lot more folks that know the Lord as Savior. But it's easier to let somebody else do the witnessing. It's easier to let somebody else tell people that they need to be saved or whatever. David said, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Listen to verse 4. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. David didn't try to blame Bathsheba. He didn't try to blame Uriah. He didn't try to blame somebody else. David said, it's me. It's me that's caused the break in fellowship. It's not God's fault. It's not your fault, Lord. It is my fault. I'm the one who disobeyed. I'm the one who sinned, and I need to take the responsibility. Go over to the book of Luke, the 22nd chapter of Luke. Jesus had told Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter said, I won't do that. Jesus said, yeah, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. And the rooster crowed right after Peter denied the Lord the third time. And what the scripture says is that, I love this, it, Jesus just turned and looked at Peter. He didn't say a word. He just turned and looked. Now, I don't know what was in that look. I don't know what was in those eyes. But whatever it was, the conviction was so great in Peter's heart that the word of God says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now, on the site in Israel where they say that happened, there's a plaque. I suppose it's still standing today. It was several years ago. And that plaque says this. Jesus, once filled with sorrow because of Peter's sin, is now gazing at us. He longs that we too might shed tears of repentance over our sins. The more we weep in contrition for having grieved Jesus, the more fervent our love for him will be. Jesus is looking at us. And many times he's looking at us just like he looked at Peter. Will we go out and weep bitter tears because of our failure over the Lord? And if you'll notice, you go to the 21st chapter of John, you see the humility it created in Peter because Jesus said, do you love me? Do you have a self-sacrificing love for me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I'm fond of you. Finally, the third time, Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. But it did something in the heart of Peter. And in fact, if you'll notice on the day of Pentecost, the second chapter of the book of Acts, Peter gets up and boldly declares Jesus Amen. to all those Jews that are standing by. See, something wonderful happens when we confess our sin to the Lord and we get things made right after we've been out of fellowship with the Lord. Over in the fourth chapter of the book of James, James chapter 4. I love what James says about sin and what we ought to do about sin. He says here in chapter 4 verse 9, Be afflicted and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. 
Don't laugh over sin. Don't chuckle at sin. What he's saying here is have a funeral type of grief over sin in our lives, over our broken fellowship with the Lord. And I'm not obviously picking on people, but if you've ever attended a funeral and you've seen the family of the deceased, you know what a funeral type of grief is. It is deep sorrow. It is so much sorrow that many times it can be felt by people around them. And James says, God through James says, have that kind of grief over sin in your life. Anything that interrupts the fellowship between us and our Lord should cause us anguish, folks. Well, it's just a little sin. I heard a knock at the door, and I said, who's there? And a voice came back and said, just a little sin. So I cracked the door open just a little and all of hell rushed in. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Amen. Well, there's the excitement of anticipation. There's anguish of separation right quickly. Let's look at the beauty of adoration. They're apart. She anticipates his return. She wants her shepherd to come back. And we see here how greatly she adores her beloved and we should adore our Lord the same way this Shulamite woman adored her beloved. And listen to this description. I prayed a moment ago that, that, about this being a description of the Lord Jesus. Listen to this. She adores his head. She adores her shepherd's head. Look at what she says in verse 11. His head is as the most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. The head of Jesus was beautiful. It wore the crown of thorns. They took that crown and put it on his head and they took a rod and beat that crown and the thorns down into his head. But that head wore the crown of thorns for us. It's a beautiful head, folks. Not only that, one of these days, one of these days that head is going to wear the crown of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The scripture says so in Revelation chapter 19. She adores his eyes. You look at verse 12. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters washed with milk and fitly set. Think about the eyes of Jesus for just a moment. See, the eyes of Jesus are eyes of judgment. The scripture says in Revelation 1.14, also again in Revelation 19, that his eyes were as a flame of fire. He didn't come to judge the first time. He's coming back and he's going to judge this thing the second time. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. They're eyes of judgment. You and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Those who don't know Christ will stand before the great white throne judgment of God. Now, Somebody asked me one time, well, who's going to be on that throne, God or Jesus? And my answer is yes. You can't separate them. And the lost will look into their eyes that are a flame of fire. His eyes are eyes of compassion because the scripture says in Matthew 9 that he looked upon the people scattered as sheep having no shepherd and he was moved with compassion. Yes, they're eyes of judgment, but they're also eyes of compassion. They're eyes of love as Jesus looks at us and they're eyes of conviction I mentioned a moment ago when he just turned and looked at Peter and that he is looking at me and looking at you with those same eyes today 
And when we sin against him or we ignore him, folks, he knows it. He knows our very thoughts and he knows what's in our hearts. She adores his cheeks. Verse 13, his cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers. She says, he's got wonderful, beautiful cheeks. You know what they did to the cheeks of Jesus? They spit on them. And they slapped his cheeks. And they took handfuls of hair and pulled it from his beard. That's how they treated the cheeks of our Lord Jesus. She adores his hands. And she adores his legs. His hands are his gold rings set with beryl. His belly is bright ivory overlaid with sapphire. His legs are as pillars. They took nails and pierced the hands and the feet or the legs of our Lord Jesus Christ when they nailed him there to the cross. You know, when I think of Jesus, I don't think of somebody that was physically weak. He was meek, but meek does not mean weak. The best definition I've ever heard of meekness is this, it's power under control. He could have called, the song says, 10,000 angels. He could have gotten down off of the cross, but in his meekness and in his obedience to the Father, he chose not to. Yes, he fell beneath the weight of the cross. We're caused to understand because Simon of Serene was compelled to carry his cross. But he was not physically weak. She adores his hands. She adores his legs. She adores his mouth. Verse 16, his mouth is most sweet. His mouth, she says, is full of sweetness. All from the mouth of Jesus come those wonderful words of life. From the mouth of Jesus come words like this there in the garden of Gethsemane. Father, not my will, but thine be done. From the mouth of Jesus come words while he's hanging on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And from the mouth of Jesus for each and every one of us, every time we sin against God and we seek forgiveness for our sin, from the mouth of Jesus comes those same words, Father, forgive them. See my righteousness. They don't have any. All they have is the imputed righteousness of me. But see my righteousness. Forgive them for their sins. And whenever a sinner, a lost sinner, decides to accept Christ as Savior from the mouth of Jesus comes that plea of forgiveness from the mouth of Jesus comes verses like John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. From the mouth of Jesus comes words like, Whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. She says His lips are lilies dripping with liquid myrrh. It is the mouth of Jesus. That commendeth God's love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. It is the mouth of Jesus that said, whosoever will may come. It is the mouth of Jesus that said, I'll go to the cross. I'll die in their place. I'll be the sacrifice for sin. And it is the mouth of Jesus that cried out, Tetelestai, it is finished. When he did everything that needed to be done, not only to save us, but to seal us and to secure us for eternity, it is finished, paid in full. And he said it just before he bowed his head and he dismissed his spirit from his body. Amen. 
I always get amazed. People trying to figure out who killed Jesus. Well, you and I did. He went to the cross because of us. But man can't kill Jesus. Man can't kill God. Jesus had to dismiss his own spirit from his own body for that body to die. That's how wonderfully powerful he is. These last few verses of chapter 5 present such a beautiful picture of Jesus as this Shulamite woman talks about her shepherd. And we ought to adore our great shepherd just the way she adored her shepherd. We're going to wrap up with this. Go back to verses 8 and 9 for just a moment. Look what she says. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him that I am sick of love or that I am lovesick. What is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou fairest among women? What is thy beloved more than another beloved, that thou dost so charge us? You know what's happening? She says, keep an eye out for him. When you see him, tell him I love him. And the daughters of Jerusalem just say this. Say, How is he different from any other? Why is your beloved so special? What causes you to say that to us, that we ought to keep an eye out for him, what to look for him? Why do you love him so much? That's their questions. And folks, we ought to have such a love for Jesus, for our Lord, that we would be like this Shulamite woman. That we would be talking about our shepherd, about our great shepherd. That we would be talking about the Lord Jesus so much. Telling people how much we love him. That people would look at us and say, what's wrong with you? What's so special about Jesus? What's so special? Why should we listen to you talk about Jesus? And we can tell them how much we love them. And how special he is to us. Jesus deserves our praise and we ought to be speaking words of adoration to him and words of adoration for him on a daily basis the excitement of anticipation God's going to speak to me through his word at home in personal Bible study when I gather together with my brothers and sisters in Christ in this corporate worship God's going to speak to us through his word the anguish of separation I don't ever want to be out of fellowship with the Lord. Amen. And if you've, again, if you've ever experienced that, you don't want it to happen again. You know, David didn't ever want to be out of fellowship with God after that. After his little event with Bathsheba and Uriah, he didn't ever want to do anything to break that fellowship again. And we ought to be the same way. And then there's our expression of adoration to our Lord. Do people around me and the people around you first of all even know that we know Jesus as Savior and secondly do they know that we love Jesus oh not just with you know Christmas time and Easter time people sort of show a maybe a, a worldly puppy love for Jesus you know something like that oh let's let's talk about Jesus now it's Easter let's talk about Jesus it's Christmas they they want to celebrate the baby Jesus. Baby Jesus grew up and went to the cross. But the world has this sort of fascination, infatuation with Jesus. But I mean talking to people and telling people how much we love him and what he has done for us. That's what we need. And that's what the world needs to see out of God's people today.